So tonight for, for everyone, I want to be, uh, we're going to be focusing on Malachi chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we're working our way through the book of Malachi. Tonight, the title of the message or the study is Dishonoring God's Name. Dishonoring God's Name, Malachi chapter 2. We're going to hopefully get through the first 16 verses. If not, we'll finish next week. But let's just review what we've learned so far about the book of Malachi. I've got a question or two for you. I'd like for you to respond as we go along. And this is just review of where we've come, what we've learned so far in the book of Malachi. First of all, let's talk about the prophet himself. The name Malachi means what? Do you remember? Malachi means... I think I heard it. Malachi means messenger. Now, it's interesting. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. I can't remember if I told you that before or not. Uh, But he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. We don't know anything else about Malachi. But God raised up a messenger. His final messenger of the Old Testament. Between the years 450 and 400 B.C., it was his final spokesman to his people in the Old Testament times. Malachi means my messenger. And that's what God called him to be at the end of the Old Testament. Then let's talk about the times themselves. The events that we read about in Malachi occurred about a hundred years after they had returned back to Palestine. Remember they had been in captivity where? Babylon. They'd been in captivity in Babylon. They'd been allowed to return back home. And they had gone back to Palestine. The city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. The temple, the second temple, had been built. And there there was a great bit of enthusiasm, as you can imagine, as they're going back to their homeland, as they're rebuilding their city, and especially as they're rebuilding their temple. There was a great bit of enthusiasm. But that initial enthusiasm eventually waned. There was a time where the people of God became backslidden and became mechanical. In their obedience to the law. And what we talked about last week is that they continued to obey the law somewhat. They continue at least to go through the motions. But it was mechanical and it was routine and it was ritual. And they really couldn't understand why God was displeased with them. Because they were still going through the motions. They were still going to the temple. They were still offering sacrifices and all of those kind of things. So, so that's the prophet. That's the times. And again, just in review, let me talk to you just a little bit about the contents of this book. One of the interesting literary features of this book is that Malachi uses the question and answer method as he writes out this prophecy. And there are at least 23 questions in this book of four short chapters. At least 23 questions where sometimes God is asking the question of the people and sometimes the people are asking the questions of God. So, that's just a review of where we've been so far. And when we come to chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, Malachi directs his message first to the priest and then to the people. The first nine verses, he has a message for the priest. And then the verses after that through to verse 16, it's it's a message for the people. So, what we're going to be talking about at first tonight is this. And listen, this is so relevant, so interesting. What happens when those who are leading in worship actually leads others astray? We've seen that in current day times. I'm not going to give names or circumstances. But what happens when those who are spiritual leaders lead others astray? If the religious leaders are careless, the people usually will be as well. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 2. The priest had 
dishonored the name of the Lord. And the people had broken faith with the Lord. That's a summary of what we're going to be talking about tonight. How in the first part of the chapter, Malachi says, God says through Malachi, that the priests have dishonored his name. And then we'll see in the second part that the people had broken faith with the Lord. So here's the first thing I want, I want you to see tonight. Look at this number one. God holds his leaders to a high standard. The first half of chapter 2, Malachi directs his message, especially to the priests. Look how it begins. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, this admonition is for you, O priests. Instead of living exemplary lives, the priests were guilty of breaking the very law of God that they were supposed to obey. They were... They were accused of breaking the very law of God that they were supposed to teach. The way that they were serving the Lord was a disgrace to His name. God says that in verse 2. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. Now remember, He's talking to the priest. If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. It's an interesting word. It's a very similar complaint that God voiced in chapter 1, verse 6. Go back one chapter. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is respect due me? Now watch this. This is the Lord Almighty. Watch this. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. So in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, God calls out the priests and says, You're not honoring my name. He specifically mentions the spiritual leaders and says, You're not honoring my name. Those who were supposed to honor God's name were actually disgracing his name before the people and before the Lord. They apparently were taking for granted the high calling of God on their lives. And they were treating the things of God and the work of God with contempt. Can I say to you that serving at the altar for them was more like a job than it was a ministry. They were focused more on pleasing themselves than they were pleasing the Lord. But God was not pleased and he had a very strong warning for them. In verse 2, I want you to read verse 2 and tell me what this very strong warning was. But what was the, the warning from God in verse 2? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is covenant language. Let me just read it out loud and then we'll kind of work through it. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the warning. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Now, I would dare say that's not the kind of thing you normally talk about in your Sunday school class. That's not the kind of thing that we sit around and talk about in a, in a small group and, you know, and, and say, it and God good. This, this is unusual language for us. But it's very important that we understand what's happening. This was covenant language. A, a curse in the Old Testament was nothing like a swear word. Please make sure you hear that. You know, 
I'm not talking, God's not saying I'm going to cuss you out. That's, it was nothing like that at all. A curse was a vital part of the covenant agreement between God and His people. See, from the very beginning, as the nation of Israel was established, Israel knew that God's treatment of them, listen to this, would be conditional based on their response to God's law. Look up here for a moment, those watching online. Israel knew from the very beginning, God's treatment of us is going to be based on how we respond to His law. God was very clear on that. Now, look here on the screen. There was always a strong emphasis on blessing. There was always a positive aspect to this. I want to make sure you hear that. There was always a strong emphasis on the positive aspect of God's blessings on Israel if they honored His covenant. So, go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28. Let's, Let's see what God said to His people. In these early days, as He was establishing this relationship with them, this covenant with them, here's what God said. And notice that it starts out with, Blessings for obedience. That's the heading of chapter 28. And here's what God said. If you fully, what's that next word? If you fully what? Obey. The blessings of God, this covenant language, the blessings of God always hinge on obedience to God. Alright, so let's see what he says. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. Your nation, our nation, Israel, will be different from all other nations. That's what he was saying. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And and there's that word again, obey. And again, I just want to emphasize that this is covenant language. We're establishing a relationship here. God is going to be your God. You are going to be His people. And if you will allow God to be your God, if you will obey Him because He is your God, you will be a unique nation of all the other nations of the world, and you can expect Him to bless you because of the way you have responded to Him. Then He outlines it for us. Verse 3. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. There's not a place that that will miss God's blessing. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In other words, there's not going to be an area of your life that does not have the blessing of God on it. If you're treating Him like God. If you're following Him and obeying Him. This is covenant language. If God's people honored God's name through obedience to Him, they could expect God's blessings. I should have put this on the screen, but but you might want to write down, God's name equals God's blessing. If you honor God's name, you will experience God's blessing. Now, There's another side to that coin though, isn't there? Because this is a covenant, there's always a possibility that Israel may not live up to the terms of the covenant. There's always a possibility that Israel may not obey the Lord and honor their covenant with Him. And in that case, God says, I'll tell you ahead of time, if you don't honor me, if you don't honor the terms of this covenant, you can expect a divine curse. And that's in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy as well. Look at verse 15. 
chapter 28, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, you'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Now, the significance of all of this should not be missed. Let me say it one more time. The significance of all of this should not be missed. Under the terms of this covenant, God was obligating Himself to bless His people when they honored Him. He was obligating Himself to do that. However, He also obligated Himself to respond to their disobedience with curses. So Malachi is making the point, if you want to go back to Malachi chapter 2, Malachi is making the point, that unless the people began immediately to listen to God and to honor His name, God would have no alternative but to... Here's the phrase I like to use. He would have no alternative but to reverse the blessings. I like that phrase. To reverse the blessings or to take away the blessings that they had come to take for granted. If you do not honor the terms of this covenant, if you do not honor God, if you do not obey God... He, had, he's, he obligated himself when he made this covenant with Israel. So if you do not obey God, then the only alternative is to experience the reverse of the blessings, the curses of God. Now, verses 3 and 4 show us just how serious of an issue this is with God. Verse 3. Because of you, priest, parentheses, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. Now, there's some debate about exactly what this means or how it should be translated. But it seems to me to say that the, the hereditary office of the priesthood would come to an end because there would be no Levitical priest left to carry that role out. Uh, because of you, because of the way you're living, if you don't change, I will rebuke your descendants. I will take away, you won't have descendants to fulfill this role of, of the priesthood. And it was a hereditary thing passed down through the, the family. But then, this is where it really gets bad. It's, just look up here for a minute. You're gonna, after, I, after I read this verse, you're going to say, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Here it is. Verse 3. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. I will spread on your faces the offal of the festival sacrifices. I looked up that word. I thought I knew what it meant, but I looked it up just to make sure that I'm telling you correctly. It can be translated one of two ways, that word awful. It can be translated dung. I'll spread the dung on your faces, the dung from the sacrifices. If you want to know how seriously I take this, God says, God says, I'm so disappointed and frustrated with you, my priests, that unless you change your ways, I will take the dung from the sacrifices and spread it on your faces. 
or it could be translated the intestinal contents. I will take the, the intestinal contents from the sacrifices from the butchered animals and I'll spread that on your faces. And they're so closely connected it really doesn't matter, right? Uh, here's what I put in my notes. Awful is awful. <laughs> That'll preach. Regardless of how you translate it, regardless of which word you use or which phrase, awful is awful. And you wouldn't want that spread on your face at all. Now, to carry it just a little bit further, not to make too big of a deal out of this, but God is the one who brings it up. According to the law, whatever it was, whether it was the entrails of the animal or the dung from an animal, whatever it was, according to the law, it was unclean and it had to be removed outside the camp, outside the walls of the camp, and then be burned. And of course, if a priest came in contact with offal, then uh, he was considered unclean. And God basically said to the priest, listen, oh, you're going to come in contact with it, all right. <laughs> you're going to be unclean, and you'll be in contact with it. And, and look what he says to him about this. Uh, and you will be carried off with it, the end of verse 3. Not only will you become in contact with it, you'll be carried off with it. And it probably has the idea that regardless, of, again, of what it was, there, there was, as you butchered the animals, there was the, the pile of the intestines and all that, that other stuff there. And somebody had to come pick that up and carry it outside the camp to burn it. And God said, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have that on your faces. You're going to be unclean. And you're going, they're going to pick you up and carry you out with it. Would you say God was taking their sins seriously? Not only their sin, would you say that God was taking seriously their leadership responsibility? Reminds me of that verse. I meant to look it up earlier and I failed to do it. Reminds me of that verse in the New Testament. I think it was, it's the Apostle Paul who says, not many should aspire to be teachers because you will be judged more strictly. God takes seriously the role of a leader. God basically, you say, Pastor Keith, why is that in there? I mean, that's just, that's just some weird stuff and it's awful. Why, why is that, that in there? I'll, I'll tell you why. God was saying to the priest, you are treating me with disrespect, so I will treat you in the same way. So here's the lesson. Serving God is more than a job. It is a divine calling. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about being a pastor. Certainly it applies to pastors and ministers and staff. But, it, it's, but I'm just talking about serving God. Whether you're a pastor or a missionary or you're a BSF teacher or a choir member or even an usher, serving God is a serious thing. And I just believe, and I think you would agree with me, God, because of who He is, deserves our very best. Can I, can I ask you to write this down if you're taking notes? Can you, will you write down this, this sentence? Don't lose the privilege of serving and representing God to others. Don't lose that sense of privilege of serving and, and representing God to others. It is a privilege when God gives you the opportunity to represent Him and to serve others. Don't lose that sense of privilege. 
with that in mind, I want to talk to you a little bit more about these leaders, these priests. And so let me talk to you about the two laws of the leader. The two laws of the leader. He goes on to make the case that leaders need integrity. Look at verses 4 through 6. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi. Levi, of course, was the first Levitical priest. And he's the one that God established the covenant with. And then his family line, those in his family line over the centuries were priests as well. This hereditary priesthood, if you will. He says this, he says, Then you'll know that I've sent this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Now watch this, verse 5 and 6. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. I just asked you a moment ago, to write down that phrase. Don't lose that sense of privilege. Representing God. And serving others. Levi. The first Levitical priest. Had that sense of privilege. That, that he, it was an honor. To have that opportunity. And to have that calling on his life. He says. Middle of verse 5. This called for reverence. And he revered me. And stood in awe of my name. Then look what happens in verse 6. This is so good. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. My personal study Bible I wrote in the column as a good definition of preaching, good, a good word for pastors, but also for teachers. Look at it again. If you're a BSF teacher, look at this word again. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. Well, I, I, right there, I could just stop right there. May God always speak true instruction through us, and may nothing false be found on, on our lips. And he walked with me in peace, the Bible says, in uprightness, and turned many from sin. Don't lose, ever lose the perspective of the privilege that you have. Speak to others in the name of the Lord. And to help guide their lives. It's an honor. And it's a privilege. So one of the laws of, of the leader is leaders need integrity. And, but number two, leaders also have influence. Look what he says in verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction. Because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Boy, that's powerful. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. There is a fairly new term that is being used more and more in our society these days. I don't know if you've seen the term or heard the term. Uh, I've just, I'm probably behind the times, but I, I didn't know about the term until four, five, six months ago. Have you heard the term social media influencer? You've been, you're, you're more hip than I am. You probably knew it a long time ago. Social media influencer uh, is a, a person who has established, listen to how I describe this now. They establish credibility in an industry. And they have access to a huge audience. They usually have a, a following in the millions. 
And they persuade others to take action based on their recommendations. They are exactly what the title says. They are influencers on social media. An influencer uh, may be anyone from a blogger to a celebrity, just to an online entrepreneur. They can they capitalize on kind of a niche, whatever their niche is. They become an expert in that area. It may be makeup, it may be fitness, it may be food, it may be sports products. It can be a, a lot of different things. But they have established, here's the key word, they have established credibility for millions of people. They have become the voice of expertise for millions of people. They speak into the lives of millions of people and cause those people to take some kind of an action, whether it's to get healthier or to buy their product. But, but they speak into the lives of people and change their lives because they've developed credibility. They are social media influencers. Can I say to you that God is looking for influencers as well, but not on social media? God is looking for influencers, as he says in verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. You don't have to be a priest for that to be true of your life. You don't have to be a pastor for that to be true of your life. You can be a man or woman of the Word to such a degree that you are speaking the Word of God to others, and you are helping, you are influencing others. Instead of a social media influencer, you could be a Bible influencer. Helping somebody understand and live out the Word of God. Now, here's the sad part. Sometimes, sometimes our influence does not draw people closer to God, but instead drives them away from Him. And that was what's happening with the priest here. Let's get back to the priest in verse 8. But you, the word you there referring to the priest, but you've turned from the way. Now, stop for a moment. What does that phrase, turn from the way, imply to you? What does it mean when it says that you've turned from the way? Not being faithful to the Lord? Would it imply that at a time they had been faithful to the Lord? Yeah. You can't turn away from, from it if, if you hadn't been living it, right? So get this in your mind. Li- they were living for the Lord. They were priests that were honoring God's name for a while. Then they turned from the way. One of the saddest things that you'll ever see is somebody who once walked with the Lord, once stayed in the Word, and then they turn away. It is heartbreaking. You know some people like that, probably. They may be in your BSF class, or they used to be. Or maybe they're in your family. Like once, once my son, my daughter, they were walking with the Lord, but they turned away. Once they used to teach others, and now they don't even read their Bible. Once they used to pray, and I used to love to hear them pray, and now... They don't even talk to God. They have turned away. That was the case in this uh, rebuke to the priest. He says, but you have, verse 8, but you have turned away, turned from the way. 
and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters to the law. I'll tell you what, rather than rush through this next section, because the next section, beginning of verse 10 through 16, we'll, we'll just pick that up next week. Uh, because in those verses, and um, I, I'm afraid that, I just, that, that I'll rush through it because of time and, and not do it justice. I will at least read it for you, and then you'll know what we're going to talk about next week. Verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. That's underlined in my Bible. One of the key statements in the book. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears and you weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His. And why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence, as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Twice he tells us, guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith. The next Wednesday night, Lord willing, that's what we're going to be talking about. We may go on down a few more verses, but that'll be the, the heart of what we're talking about. Judah has broken faith. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with one another. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. That's what we'll talk about next week. So hope you'll tune in. Those watching online, I hope you'll show up. Bring your Bible and we'll get into... Uh, those verses as well. So let me pray with you and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the honor and the privilege of reading your word. And thank you also for the honor and the privilege that you've given some of us, maybe many of us, to to teach your word. The honor and the privilege of 
of representing you, that we would speak words that re represent your words. The honor, the privilege of speaking into someone's life. Helping them turn from sin and turn to you. So I pray over these folks here in the sanctuary and those watching online. I pray, oh God, we'd be the leaders that you want us to be. And we would continually point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.